we kind of gravitate toward things that people say we can't do. We gravitate toward what people think perhaps is impossible. So we gravitate toward grit. We gravitate toward discipline. We gravitate toward commitment. Hello and welcome to the Winners Find a Way Show. I am your host, Trent Clark, longtime entrepreneur, international speaker. Most people know me because I spent 12, 13 years plus in pro baseball coaching in three World Series. And today I've got special guest, Clay Worrell. Clay, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Three World Series. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy. It is crazy. All before I was 33 years old. So pretty mad, but tell me, Clay, actually, before we get into this, Clay, we're going to tackle some tough stuff today with Clay Worrell. Clay is a guy who has been on the top. He has been on the very bottom. He knows exactly what that rocky bottom looks like. He has fallen to the depths and come back to tell the story and come back to help thousands of people take on these things in their lives that we're ignoring sometimes, Clay. We're not doing a very good job of being present and thoughtful to some of the damage and issues and challenges we're facing. And as high achievers, we want to talk about the dangers. And there's these little things that people overlook. And man, it's so prevalent in our society. It's so prevalent in our everyday things. But we're going to dive deep into alcohol and Clay has run two major programs with a program called Epic, which is incredible, 91 days. And then I Have Victory Now, and that's his most recent program uh, he's developed. And we're super excited. Clay, first, before we get into you a little bit, my North Carolina man, so let's talk a little bit about where they can find you. Tell the audience that. You can find me at IHaveVictoryNow.com. And uh, you can Google, of course. Clay World, they've got me tagged under Dr. Clay World too, but I go by Clay. I'm, I'm not really big on the paper. It, it's just Clay, Clay World. Clay World. That's awesome. Yeah. And I'm saying Worrell. So you got to correct me when I'm. No, no, I'm no. That's Worrell. great. World. No, no. Syllable, man. That's impressive. No, man. Look. One syllable in World. <laughs> you're doing it good. You're doing it. I mean, you're actually doing it right. It's just this old Southern thing, you know. You know, growing up Tobacco Row, man, North Carolina. You're coming into this world and, you know, like, like most of us entrepreneurs and, and one percenters, you're a driver, man. Like you, you want to be the best at everything you do. You want to win. You want to have all those things, but there's a constant in your life as a kid that grows up of alcohol that just is around you, your parent, your, you know, walk me through that a little bit about where everything gets started. Yeah. Well, I mean, you nailed, I mean, as a kid, the tobacco fields at the age of nine, but from a childhood perspective, I knew that my grandfather was highly respected, very, very accomplished. And I mean, really, really a one percenter. And I knew that he had died the same year I was born from alcohol, cirrhosis of the liver. I knew at a young age that my mom's family from Virginia, Roanoke area, they were a little bit scattered and divided that that, you, you know, I mean, I could tell from a very early age, but I also knew from very, very early uh, on in childhood that my dad drank and he drank every day. Now, mind you, he went to work every day, 
but he drank every day. And then I would see my mom drink a little bit on the weekends. And from early on, I mean, I'm talking the age four, five, six, seven years old, I knew, that, you know, and then he would drink every night. He, he would get mouthy and a little different, but when mom drank and he drank, I knew it was on, you know, so fights and arguments and, you know, that just went right on through childhood, man. I mean, a, as a young man, a, a young boy, you know, I was the MVP on the football and, and the baseball. I love throwing that ball, my Southpaw. And, uh, you know, just really, really, I mean, I love baseball a lot. My dad coached one year and my dad did the best that he could for where he was at at that point in his life. And I think it's important to realize that about all people, you know, people do some pretty bad things when they have chemicals in their system and we're all merely a product of our best thinking to date and our best thinking will drive our doing. So at a young age, my dad did the best he could. I think they were kind of kids raising kids. You know what I mean? And that was kind of the thing back, back there in the Vietnam day, you know, they're getting out of Vietnam. My mom was 18. Dad was 21. I think when they got married and pregnant, you know, at 18. So growing up made A's for the most part, pretty daggone smart on these, all these little fancy tests and awarded athlete. Well, my parents busted up when I was 15 and the, and the primary driver there was alcohol. And I'm not going to get into the other details, but my brother went with my dad and I went with my mom. And from there, I started, I, I got in trouble with the law. I started drinking on the weekends and, and my mom didn't really say anything because she was out drinking herself on the weekends. And it just took a bad road there for about four years. And then I said, well, a teacher in high school, I uh, told her I wanted to be rich. She said, read how to win friends, influence people. So I did. So I jumped into real estate. By the time I was 19, I'd bought three houses, had a Mercedes and BMW and uh, cocaine slipped into the picture on the weekend. So a little bit of cocaine on the weekends. I'm 19. You know, I've got these things that I never dreamed. Well, I, I'm not gonna say I didn't dream I'd ever have them, but either way, I had some pretty cool stuff, but I was drinking liquor, crown and seven every night. And uh, from there, I, I kept getting offers from corporate side of housing. And, uh, you know, I jumped into that. So when I jumped into the corporate side, man, the work was hard, but you know, the, the word was work hard, play hard. And by the time I was 25, I was the youngest general manager ever promoted with a 68 year old fortune 100 company. I took a store that was ranked fourth from the bottom out of 378. We finished number two in the nation after 18 months. I was in all the newspapers and voted manager of the year out of 378 managers nationwide at the age of 26. So then well, I started. Real quick, I want to jump that because that's, that's a big deal. Like 24, 25 years old, you're on your way. I mean, you're, you're only CUSA production just, and the IQ is off the chart. You're testing like crazy. So you've got the intellect. No one in their intellectual right mind at 17 year old just, you know, Hey, what do you want to be? Well, I'm hoping to be a cokehead someday. Like no one thinks that, right? That's not the dream. It's not what people are going for, but now you're with some other big ballers and they got stuff. And then all of a sudden the drinks flow and then the decisions at 10, 11 o'clock at night are like, let's do a little blow. And all of a sudden it's, oh man, maybe this is a good idea. Like other people are doing it and they're still successful. So we're reasoning that in our mind, which we know, like in all our good intellect of 10 a.m. in the morning, we know this is probably not going to go well, right? But at 10 p.m. at night, it's a different decision under the influence. Is that fair? Trent, you nailed it, brother. I mean, I, I mean, like you and, and other 
high uh, achieving elite minded men there, we all share some common denominators. Number one, we all have fear and I'm not going to say any four letter words, but it daggone sure doesn't stop us. And I mean, we kind of gravitate toward things that people say we can't do. We gravitate toward what people think perhaps is impossible. So we gravitate toward grit. We gravitate toward discipline. We gravitate toward commitment. We gravitate toward excellence. We gravitate toward, I mean, integrity, honor, trustworthiness. You know, we gravitate toward transparency, specific, clear, concise communication. We gravitate toward measuring things. We know we have to measure to win. That mind, I mean, even though most of us have that charismatic side, I mean, I do. I'm, I'm that jovial, you know, even though I do feel out of place sometimes, I can get along and talk with anyone. But at the same time, I've got that, you know, other side of, you know, you want to fit in and you see people that aren't really doing what you know, you know, you should shut it down and you know, that's too much. But at the same time, hey, they're all multi. They're all multimillionaires and, and you're up and coming. It seems to be part of the thing. I was the type of person, though, I didn't have much of an off switch. That's one of the things that probably, right, gets into, hey, what's let's let's talk a little bit about the achievers, right? The achievers go in and part of the confidence in facing fear is that fear has been around forever and in facing it in the past had some success doing that. Like, you know, I had success getting the best of fear, facing that head on and finding a way to win. And that gives me confidence to do it again, to do it again, to do it again. And this is where achievers really probably separate themselves from a lot of folks is that they're willing to take calculated risk and make it work. And one of the challenges I think in this is, and I've seen this a lot, when it comes to alcohol and drug related on achievement, it's always what's next. Hey, you yep. were, you know, you're the all state. Great. What's next? College. Great. Go to college. Be the baller. Great. All conference. Great. Get drafted. Yeah. Right. What's next? Be all league at the next level. Like get, get a multi-level year contract, win a world championship. What happens when there's no more? What next? What happens when you take a look around and you're surrounded by everything you ever wanted and you're just unhappy as track. That part. Well, and that a great deal. You and I talked about it in the green room there. You know why I went from creating maybe six years ago, released it five years ago, a 91-day program for hurts, habits, and hangups. Number one, it's a broad program for your overall type well-being, and it covers a multitude of issues, and it's more based upon biblical or spiritual type precepts, which, by the way, so is psychology. And yep. so is all other stuff. And I man. mean, we, and yeah, and, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they just rename it, man. Yeah. So I knew coming with this program, I would be addressing the exact man that I was and that I am. And I knew that it could be done in a 49 day period. I knew it wouldn't take more than 15 minutes a day with a little bit of coaching, the right information in utilized and applied. We can get it done. But and when you look at the area that you're talking about in that man's mind, that elite-minded, high-achieving man, that alcohol is so gradual. You know, everybody starts drinking. when. Well, when you start, it took how many? Two, three, four, yeah. right? And five years or less, it took, what, six, seven, eight, ten? 
and then so inside of a expensive too, right? Like, oh, oh, yeah. And what does the end of that look like? Well, yeah. I mean, the end of that looked like for me, an eight ball that started the night. I mean, don't insult me with anything less, but about an eight ball of, of powder and uh, let's go and 20, 30, 40 drinks later, the next day later, what I call this area is the giant killer in the book I wrote, Facing Down My Giants. The giant killer refers to, it's in the first chapter, of an elite-minded, high-achieving man. We are encapsulated. The people that are around us are almost afraid to address and talk to us. The ones that have seen us rise. Our counterparts, the ones that we're working around, nobody's really getting in your grill about any of that stuff. The ones that are up the food chain, hey, as long as you're producing, man, I mean, as long as you're producing, I mean, look, he's bringing me to numbers. I don't care what his afternoons and his weekends look like. Yeah. What ends up being is we create this false reality. We live in somewhat of a delusion that the rules that apply to other people just don't apply to us. You know, when it comes to addiction, alcoholism and, and all of its effects, it just doesn't apply to me. And I'll figure it out. You can't tell me that I can't do something because I'm going to figure out how to do it successfully. Yeah. You know, I think that's part of the athletic thing, right? That's part of the athletic being physically gifted beyond most. And a lot of people told you, you probably aren't going to do it. And then you realize you can do it and you rise to one of these unique one percent of the world. And I, I really think there is this mentality that I'm almost above the law. I'm some level oh, yeah. of Superman. So unless you have kryptonite, you probably don't have a chance. Right. And so like, oh, no. yeah. there is this level of superhuman, man. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit built on a, you know, where do you get humbled? There's this challenge with the pro athletes of the world and the entrepreneurs is that they don't hear no very much, right? Because they are super successful. And you know, when you own the establishment and you're the person that's kind of in charge of production and you've had a lot of success, no one wants to tell you no. And quite frankly, you don't have a boss to answer to if you own it. So, you know, there's that danger zone of, do I actually have the people the clay whorls around in my life that will catch my drift. Because when I go drifting off, I need someone to say, Hey, Trent, this is not you with your biblical faith. You're out of line with your health. You're out of line with your fathering, your husbanding, you know, whatever you're doing, you know, we, we got to surround ourselves with those people because there's sometimes no one there and you'll start believing your own press clippings, right? Like people, are, Hey, I'm, I'm invincible. Ask my agent. <laughs> right? Like, you know, like, that's my attorney, you know, yeah, the attorney, yeah, right, 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 as right. my attorney that I paid a couple hundred grand to, to get me out and keep me out of the mess that I'm constantly getting myself into that yeah, part. That's, you know, you think about some of that money, right? That's been used. Oh, I know. It's big. Oh, yeah. it's big. Yeah. And, and look, I mean, not, not only is it the money, it's, it's the boxes of Cuban cigar, Cuban cigars you buy them. Okay. It's, it's the, it, it's the passes. It's this, it's that. You bring them in your latest little uh, rendezvous with whatever it is you got yourself into. And they look at you and they go, man, this one's going to cost you. And what are you doing? You stroke them a check. You don't ever tell your wife. Stroke them a check, man. And, and I mean, it disappears. You know it and I know it. There are two sets of rule books. I, I mean, we're all aware of that. I mean, yeah. unless you get, get caught dead up in the middle of and with a lot of pictures and fingerprints and DNA. There's not anything you can get out of with a dollar. The problem is when your wife's had enough, when your body's had enough, 
And the problem with alcohol is, is you may get by with it 364 and a half days out of the year. It's that freaking half a day. That's mm -hmm. the problem. You may get by with it for 10 years. And in yeah. 10 years, it's that one day that nails you and costs you everything. Unlike the full potential with your business with Leadershipity, our proven strategies have fueled growth for countless organizations. Ready to elevate your leadership and scale your success? Book your free 15-minute consultation now. Click the link in the show notes below and let's make your business soar. When we talk about the pain exchange, right? The pain of discipline or the pain of regret, you choose. Choose which one you want, right? The high achievers know the value of the discipline. They've reaped the reward of that in a lot of in a lot of instance, right? But you know, this thing creeps in like an alcohol. And man, when I talk to some folks, you know, our age in our 50s, these days of regret are significant. They're bigger than life because they've changed families. They've changed anything. And you know, when I look back on most people's big regret, alcohol was involved. Like every time you take away the alcohol, like, hey, would you have got this idea in your mind if you weren't under that influence? Would you have got in the car? Would you have done like, well, I would have gotten the car, but it would have been a factor if I wasn't, you know, almost a 0.2 blood alcohol level, not really on my, you know, best facilities there to, to navigate the lights and everything else. Like, and, and the regret is so deep. Look, I mean, like you and I didn't talk about this in the green room, or maybe we did, but I have a 21 year old daughter from my first marriage who hadn't spoke to me in eight years, straight A, going to private college, won the state spelling bee two years in a row, going for a pharmacy, get a pharmaceutical license or a pharmacy license. She is absolute a model. She is brilliant. She is beautiful, but her dad was not there. And she knows the reason her and her mom broke up was because dad had a drinking problem. And I'll never forget her mom looked at me. We were living in Columbia, South Carolina at the time. And, and, uh, you know, this time I was trying to, you know, figure out this drinking thing a little bit. I said, well, I'm just going to have two drinks a night. So what I do, I just went out and bought two bigger cups. I mean, you know, still killing a fifth. I mean, I, I mean, that's the kind of rationale, you know, you start having. And one night she looked at me holding that crown uh, bottle, you know, she said, it's the bottle or me. And I said, well, pack it up, pack it up. Well, nothing happened. You know, but I can tell you this, if you're on the other end of the line right now, listening to me and you're a man, that woman, when she's fed up, she's fed up long before you'll ever know it. She yeah. has packed up. She's checked out. She's done long before you ever have a clue. If you're on the other end, this mic, and you suspect at all, you have a drink issue and you know your wife feels that way or whatever, you need to talk to me. I mean, my wife, Felicia, is skilled. She's actually better than I am when it comes to counseling. She's worked with so many women. I mean, I've got psychologists. I've got counselors that send me clients from about a 50-mile radius, and especially people dealing with alcohol. And Felicia is able to work with the women with resentment, unforgiveness, anger, and she's able to get these ladies to a place where where the women will give the men a clean slate, talk to the man in a positive and encouraging manner, not talk to him like the old man, the old guy he was out drinking and raising hell and lying. And the man 
that, that I'm working with. I mean, I've worked with athletes, attorneys, doctors. I mean, it's across the board, man, because I've been there and people, I can relate to them and I know how they think. I know what they're going through. I can literally have a man gaining control over alcohol, definitely within 49 days, programs, 49 day program. And we stick with you strong for 90 days and you stay plugged in as long as you want to. But, uh, you know, in 10, 15 days, we can start reeling that puppy in. It's not that difficult once you understand, especially on a neurological level, when you're looking at norepinephrine, noradrenaline, cortisol, serotonin, and the dopamine reward and reinforcement systems. When you understand your mind, you can have your mind work for you instead of against you in these situations. That's a big game changer. Mm. Yeah, that, yeah. That, yeah. Let's let's talk a little bit about that because you're speaking the language of recovery. We don't. That's not the mainstream in our society. We're we're all about twelve step programs and you know getting in. You you yourself have now you gave a shot at over twenty five facilities to get you right. I mean you were living you know working hard, playing hard. I mean culminating into a a, a dark day for you in two thousand one. Let's let's walk through that for a second before we get into the treatment yeah. of all this. Let's walk yeah. in. You know you're you're a, a successful guy by all means on the outside looking in, right? You're a corporate guy mm-hmm. doing all the things and all the accolades during the week. And on, on the weekend, you're a Harley Davidson biker partying. How hard can we go? And and then mm-hmm. get back to do it on Monday. But this, this all turns bad in 2001, alcohol charge because, you know, self-admitted alcohol makes you, gives you the beer muscle. You're a stronger guy with alcohol. And can get you in trouble and not afraid to back down from from any kind of challenge. Yeah. Alcohol is the only known chemical that a human can ingest that actually causes aggression. I mean, it causes, and, and even when the studied are told you're being aggressive, they get more aggressive. Yeah. Uh, it, I mean, alcohol is quite, well, I had just bought a franchise to a business. I was living in Columbia. I bought a franchise to a manufactured housing business in Greenville, North Carolina. We decided to come back toward our home place. So I had had my drinking binge. I went to a 30-day inpatient, got out, stayed sober for, I don't know, maybe a couple of weeks. On this day, I decided to go golfing and decided to have some drinks. And for me, that meant the best I can figure, six, seven, or eight liquor drinks, probably three or four doubles is is, is what it was. And, uh, you know, four or five beers. And coming back home, we just bought my wife a new utility. It was that new uh, Nissan, and I can't remember the name of it. But it was it was the newest and the latest and the greatest. And uh, these three people dribbling a basketball down the middle of the road, causing the traffic back up. I rolled my window down. There's like four or five cars in front of me. This is a two-lane road. I told them to get the GDF and all this other stuff out of the road. I didn't really think about it. I mean, I'm hearing a traffic backup. I can't go anywhere, and it's a two-lane. They pick up asphalt, you know, broken off asphalt on the side of the road, throw it through the windows of the vehicle. Man, cut me up. I mean, messed up a brand-new truck. And I go home and get my truck, which is like maybe two miles away, get my 9 millimeter, and I go looking for them. And to make a long story short, I ended up shot in the head myself. Bullet went in here in this dimple and out over here, out the inside of my head with a nine millimeter. And ended up in the hospital for 30 some days, 11 total operations, titanium. You don't need titanium in the top here, titanium throughout there. And uh, and I got to go to heaven, which was a good thing. I'd, I'd never been a big believer at the time, but I did get a trip to heaven. That's painted and hangs in my bedroom. But, uh, you know, from that time, I turned through the bottle. 
And, uh, you know, I turned to the bottle and opiates, which I was getting a lot of. I stayed in the hospital a little over 30 days. And uh, when I got home, after a month, month and a half, something like that, I, I got a wild hair and decided I was going to dry. And uh, man, I hit an embankment, one of those deep, deep embankments that are concrete on the side where the state has gone in and dug out for electric or water or something like that. So I hit this thing, they say around 65. Man, I, I bend the entire frame of the truck like a banana, throws me out the back of the glass, no seatbelt. So I break nine ribs and break my leg in two places on this one. So I ended up with two rods in my leg, broke ribs, cracked elbow, and my head's taped up from being shot in the head with a nine. And man, it was bad from there. 12 years of living with family and friends, halfway houses, cheap hotels. And when I say cheap hotels, I mean like $700 a month hotel a month, you know, 10 plus jails and 90 days prison, 25 plus detox units from West Palm Beach to Roanoke, Virginia, probably around 32 or 33 of 20 plus hospitals. I would drink to the point. Generally, I could just straight drink for about 12, 13 days. Then I'd have to go in the hospital, get, get shots, you know, Thorazine, whatever. And they put IVs in my arm because I'd be so dehydrated. And then from there, ship me off to another detox unit. And, you know, so detox units, hospitals, three psych wards, tried to break out of the detox units. When I would try to break out of the detox units to go get more liquor, they put me on the psych ward side. So 25 plus detoxes, 20 plus hospitals, three psych wards, four inpatient programs over 12 years. And that's the kind of hold alcohol can have. That and it it was combined with, I just lost everything. All of my identity, all of my worth was wrapped up in what I'd accomplished in a business sense and wrapped up in stuff and status. Yeah. Yeah. So going on that, I mean, you know, people probably can't imagine, you know, living 12 years like this, right? I mean, a, a year like this is you know, insurmountable, but 12 years going on this, you know, so before we talk about, you know, potential restitution for your daughter, let's talk a little bit about these facilities. I mean, we find out and we're finding out a lot more about how things really work. You know, I I look at John Hopkins, that kind of states there, very research driven hospital, right? Who sits there and says, Hey, you know, we used to do these trans surgeries for these kids. And when we did them under 18, We always went back and asked them after four years if they were happy with it. And when we saw that 83% wish they could reverse this, that this is irreversible. You made a decision at a young age and now there's nothing we can do. We immediately stopped because the data shows this is not going to turn out great, right? We have all this data that says it's not going to turn out great. It says it's not going to work. You and I talked a little bit offline the fact that Rehabilitation facilities currently are operating at a four to seven percent success rate. I mean, that's that is a lot of money being put into really good causes, right? Let's stop these things. Let's let's get these people better. I think everybody has a real heart for that to see that become a fruition. And you don't even have a one in ten chance of coming out of that because the recidivism is so high that people are going to go back to it. What are we missing? Well, I knew the way once I finally broke the cycle and I I was asking a lot of people that I'd see in these facilities, attorneys, doctors, I mean, some of the most intelligent people you ever met in your life. I would ask them, 
how much sobriety have you ever maintained? For how long? What happened? Yeah. Well, why'd you relapse? I started putting together a lot of information over the years. Yes. Well, when I get out, when I get out, I find an article and you can look him up. Psychiatrist Lance Dodds, D-O-D-E-S. He is Harvard's addiction specialist. Now there's, he's written several. I mean, he's written a lot of stuff and he's been yelling it from the rooftops for a decade. And so have I, but I think people are finally starting to pay a little attention. Lance writes, Alcoholics Anonymous was proclaimed correct treatment for alcoholism 75 years ago, despite the absence of scientific evidence and has been on the wrong path ever since. Today, almost every treatment center, physician, and court system in the country uses this model, yet it has one of the worst success rates in all of medicine, hardly better than no treatment at all. But Lance Dunn also writes, 12-step programs, rehabs, and therapies in America not only help few, very few, but they can also be harmful for many. Now, listen to what Harvard's Lance Dodds just said, and he's treated thousands. And by the way, I've met I've met thousands and I've treated and counseled now in the thousands. I'm telling you, the fact of the matter is you have a system of medicine that's set up for billing and coding disease. Going to see your family practitioner, you've never heard them talk about getting the correct nutrients and vitamins. You never heard them really pound you on exercise or getting sunlight. You've never heard one of them talk to you about the benefits of breath work. And you've never, I mean, for example, there's a Google this. There's a recent study out of Australia. It's being duplicated now where they discovered that exercise was 150 times more effective than medication and counseling combined for depression. Exercise is 150 times more effective than an antidepressant and canceling combined. Well, that's just a small piece of the puzzle. What I discovered was this. Right here's one of the keys. Just one of the keys. And there's several keys, but right here's one of the bigger ones. We forget about half of what we hear in an hour. You're, you're going to forget about 70, 75% of what we talk about in 24 hours, Right. And you're going to forget about 98 to 99% of what we've talked about today in around a 10-day window. Around a 10-day window, you're going to be able to recall somewhere around 2%, 1.5%. You're going to forget about half of what we talk about that fast and just about all that we talk about that fast. Here's the point. If you go to an inpatient program, the bubble of an environment and program and you're giving cognitive behavioral therapy methods or Glasser choice theory or dialectical behavioral methods of dealing with your feelings and emotions and outside environment to do better and to be rid of your addiction. If you're in the bubble of a program, what are the statistical odds that you're going to remember any of it in real time? Does that make sense? Yeah. You don't have any real time application. In addition to that, we're at the place in our society where if you pick your fork up too much and decide to eat 
the wrong types of foods and you decide not to exercise, we're going to call you. We are going to tell you that you have a disease. You have a disease because you're, you're obese. We're going to tell you because you're picking your, you're taking your hand and picking up a cup and drinking a liquid that you have a disease. I, one thing I'm a hundred percent sure about, and I can't be a hundred percent sure about very, very, there's very few things on the side of eternity. I can be a hundred percent sure of, but I'm a hundred percent sure you don't have a disease. Yeah. You don't have a disease. You might have an eating problem. You, you, you might not understand how to eat correctly according to what your body needs. And you might be lazy and need to exercise like most of America. And you may need to learn some, some ways of dealing with stress, some ways of dealing with regrets, some ways of dealing with childhood trauma, some ways of dealing in social environments. You also might need to learn the benefits of a good night's sleep, which of 75% of America lacks. You also, the benefits of being hydrated, which well over half of America is dehydrated, the benefits of D3 and other vitamins that over half of Americans are deficient of. So when you take an American who is working more statistically than the rest of the industrialized world, that's America, my friend. When, when you take America's good old work effort, work, work theory, work, work, work philosophy, when you combine work over work with no sunlight, no exercise, dehydrated, poor communications, poor skills and abilities on understanding your feelings and emotions and working through them, processing them. Um, man, I mean, that's just a re And then on top of that, you got a medical a system that says, you know what? He's got a disease. Well, now they can bill your doctor. Now they can bill the inpatient facilities. I mean, now you literally Google this, the $35 billion addiction treatment scandal in America. Mm -hmm. That article might have already been pulled down. Here's the point. People are catching on. And I'm 100% sure of this. There's not a man walking on the planet Earth that has an excessive drinking problem that if he wants to gain control over alcohol, that I can't show him the way. Bottom line, it's not impossible and it's not that hard. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I've been astounded by people who have beat it over a year, like yourself, right? And I'm like, man, after so long, being into it, but you, you really kind of tipped me off to something that I've always known, which is the human body, right? And once you understand how the energy system works, how nutrition works, like in your, you kind of talked about the norepinephrine, the epinephrine, I mean, all these things that are going on in the body, once you realize it, it's very manageable. And so yep. why are we putting labels on this? I mean, you know, we, we talk about probably, you know, there's a lot of folks that I've talked to that will no longer give to a cancer awareness nonprofit because uh -huh. millions and billions of dollars have been in cancer research and we don't, we've made no headway. Right. And, and so the question is where are all the money gone? Right. Like it, you know, as a very well-educated society have been able to fix many problems, it doesn't seem to be like the, the resources have been used very well. And they question that. So they don't want to ante that up anymore because they don't feel like it's gone to good use. And, you know, this is, we're not, we're, we're talking about prevention, you and I, because we believe in that, but that's not what the education says to do. It says treatment, treatment. So as we look at 40%, right? 40% of all the hospital beds in America have from one of 200 
plus known diseases and ailments, illnesses that alcohol causes. Yep. Who would have known that? Think about that. Four out of 10 hospital beds in the entire United States to treat these One in eight. Think about that the next time you're in Target or the next time you're at a ball game. At least at a ball game, I guarantee at least one out of eight. But what does that mean to you and I in the world? Google this. Alcohol takes a minimum of 20 years, 20 years off of a man and a woman's life. I'm telling you. Once you, I mean, alcohol affects every single organ in the body. And it's kind of like you just nailed. Once you understand the norepinephrine, noradrenaline, serotonin, cortisol, and dopamine reward system, once you truly understand dopamine and you decide, you make an intentional decision to let go of this success, I got to have it, I'm going to lose 25 pounds attitude, and you develop a growth mindset that says, you know, when I lose the 25 pounds, I'll lose it. But I'm going to do a little exercise and I'm going to start eating right. Yeah. In other words, make some decisions that'll change the rest of your life. Your purpose, your meaningful mission, your vision. I've never met a man with a very clear, specific purpose, a very powerful purpose backed with a big why or a big because I've never met that man and he'd be depressed or addicted somewhere along the line. And I don't know what day it was. I don't know what week it was. I don't know what minute it was somewhere along the line, the man and the woman, we go to the crossroads of letting our feelings and our emotions take control over some of the most important decisions we'll ever make in our lives. And all of a sudden, our self-esteem and our self-confidence starts dwindling because we now are lying to ourselves on a daily basis. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to drink this much anymore. And you do it again. Honey, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm cutting back. I'm going to cut back. And you don't. When you don't keep the contracts with yourself, it's impossible to have self-esteem. Yeah. So we start out gradual. We start out with some simple stuff. Listen. I mean, if alcohol is your answer at home, if it's your answer after work, if it's your answer at the ballgame, if it's your answer in social gatherings, I challenge you to ask the question, then what's the problem? What's the question here? In other words, what is it about you in those environments that you like you better under the influence of alcohol? Yeah, that part. And look, there are times, and and you find it more often than not, that there's some trauma involved. And in week two, we get really, really, really in-depth with writing a letter from our two-year from now self back to ourselves today, talking about the decisions that we're making. But we also go back and we take a look at childhood. We take a look at trauma. We take a look at some things that may have happened especially any memory that's over 18 months old that still causes elevated blood pressure, feelings, emotions to get stirred up. That's a big indicator what the mind is telling you. Our mind and memory, our memory isn't there to remember good things. Our memory is there to give us a map so we can map out our future endeavors safe. So when our mind and our memory will not let go of a past trauma, what the mind is telling you 
is you haven't successfully navigated your way out of that situation if it were to happen to you again. Or you haven't made amends or you haven't come to a place of understanding at that place the trauma took place. So on a one-on-one basis, that's something that I don't leave to chance at all. I work with each individual man and we talk about the past and we put it where it belongs. It was an event. It happened. It doesn't mean that we're supposed to uh, forget about it, but we do have to come to a place where it doesn't have power over our today anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, powerful stuff, man. I mean, I hope that, you know, what you're doing is, is creating so much value in the marketplace, Clay. And and the reality is, is that as, as we navigate this thing, you know, the, the physical is such an important thing to overcome first, right? That's so important. But, you know, I think what you're doing with your program of driving into the, the emotional, the mental, the moral challenges of your past is such a big part of it, too. You know, it's one thing to get through the physical and get it out of your system. We can remove the chemicals out of your system. But. You know, there's that rearview mirror of carnage. And you yep. talk about that in people's lives, addressing that. And, and I, I love that statement. You know, when you don't keep your own promises to yourself, your self-esteem is out the window. And I think the, sh- the guilt and shame cycle become pretty evident, obviously, looking back at that carnage, wishing, hey, we'd have done something different. We'd have lived a different way. We'd have made different choices. All those things. For people that are out there struggling today, Clay, what would you tell them today and recommend that the first thing they do, they want to do something about this today. Where do they start? The first place to start would be to, if they're married, have a conversation with their spouse and be in agreement about it. The first thing to do is sit down a lot of times with a sheet of paper and just start out with a simple pros and cons. I mean, you know, write down, write down the things, the positive things that can happen in your life by letting that bottle go. Write down all the negative things that have happened because of that bottle. Get a real account of what's going on in your life. Take a really good look at your atmosphere. Take a look at what you're listening to, who you're hanging around. I mean, It's impossible for me to ever expect to have a positive life when I'm looking at negative stuff and hanging around negative people and negative things coming out of my mouth. So take a look at your atmosphere. But, you know, last but not least, statistically speaking, and it's hard to get that on this, people actually break a habit that's kind of got ingrained into the mind as far as some tracks have been laid, some synapses have been laid. The plasticity of the brain is a beautiful thing, and we can literally go in there and start wiring some new stuff within minutes. The thing that I would say is with a made-up mind, call me. With a made-up mind and committed, call me. I refuse to work with anybody who doesn't know. Like, for example, I've I've had many people call, well, Clay, I just don't know if I've got a drink. I, I don't know if I've got a problem. What do you think? Here's what I think. If you don't know, Number one, if you're asking, you do. I've never met anybody who didn't have a drinking problem think that they might have a drinking problem. I mean, it's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, uh, I do not but, have a drinking but, problem. Like, I mean, I do not drink. Like, it's a fact. I will never call you about this. Now, I may call you about other things in my life, but now yeah. like, you're exactly right. It's it's not. It's yeah, not but be prepared for this. And I mean, look at life kind of like through these lens. I am at the place right now in my life, and so are you and everyone listening, it's my best thinking mentally, spiritually, physically, 
and relationally. It's my best thinking in all those areas that's got me to today. Yeah. And don't beat yourself up for what you did not know about yesterday. Yeah. Today is today. And the rest of your life, if you're meditating on, if a lot of your life is reflection on the past or worrying about the future, that's a great indicator to me. You've not got a clear, specific, meaningful mission, purpose, a vision for your life. I help people get that. It's crucial. But take a look at your life through this lens. I challenge you. If I were Trent's caregiver, if Clay was assigned to Trent and someone were to say, Clay, you've been assigned to Trent. Now, Trent has got to do everything that you, he's got to eat everything you tell him to eat. He's got to exercise. He's got to do everything that you tell him to do. Watch what you say to watch. Go where you tell him to go. Wear what you say to wear. Clay, you're his complete and total caregiver for Trent to have the best life. What would I prescribe to Trent? Here's my question. When's the last time you sat down on the side of your bed and prescribe that to yourself. When's the last time that you love, you'd say you'd do anything for your children or wife that you would die for them? How about live for them? How about really live for them? I mean, really live for them. Give them a legacy to remember you by. Give them something that says, my dad or my mom, they took care of their self physically. They took care of their self relationally, spiritually, mentally, physical relationally. I know that I know my mom and dad, I know they had a plan for their life. I know they had a purpose for their life. And I know that they did the best that they could do to fulfill it. I'm going to tell you, I've never seen a man do the push-ups and not eventually get the results. I don't know what day it is, and I have victory now. I don't know if it's day two. I don't know if it's day 18. I don't know if it's day 48. But I'm telling you, I've never seen anyone fail. The bottom line is, more often than not, the fear and what you're afraid of, it's an illusion. With the right information and the right guidance, any and everything, the fastest way to do anything in this world is what? With a mentor who's already done it. Right. Not a book and not a bit. I'm talking about somebody that's going to walk with you one-on-one, right? That's the way to do it, brother. I mean, I just did an Appalachian. Me and a buddy did a, a little over 30 miles last year. This guy's got 800 plus miles. Yeah. He knows exactly. And I'd never, yeah. And I had never been. Yep. But do you know, I wasn't afraid. Yeah. I mean, we were gone for five days, you know, 30, 25 to 35 pounds on your back out there in the middle of the Appalachian Trail, man. But I wasn't afraid because I knew that he knew what he was doing. That's right. The key to it is whatever goal it is you want to accomplish in your life. I mean, my God, if you want to be a millionaire, then, then study with somebody who knows finances. If you want to get in great physical shape, then go in there and talk to a good nutritionist and, and a good physical therapist or a good person there at the gym, a bodybuilder. If you want good, yeah, I mean, I mean, like if you want to break an addiction cycle in your life, Talk to someone that's got experience, not just paper sense and passing a test sense. Somebody with experience that's been there, done that, bought the T-shirt. I mean, hey, the number one credentialed mental health and addiction specialist in North Carolina that sits on Glasser's National Institute board, Jim Soder, he uses my material in small groups because yeah. it so closely aligns with Glasser's work. Here's what I'm trying to say. The truth is the truth is the truth. You can't untruth the truth, and it'll work for you every time. Don't confuse it. Don't get overwhelmed. Don't get frustrated. Don't get upset and afraid. Make the phone call. Get it done. I love That's it. what and I'd suggest. Let me come back to 
we come back to the show, winners find a way. Like it's we've asked this question a lot. Are you interested? Or are you committed? Then Clay hit that really well. When you're ready wow. to go, you can't be interested. You got to nope. be committed. I'm not interested in recovery. I'm committed to recovery. And you call someone who's done it before. One man can do, so can another. And I love this. I love it for Clay Worrell. Clay, so thankful you could jump with us today, man. Like, always learn a ton, man. This is great. And I'd love to have you back. Clay, tell them real quick again where they can find you. Hey, I'd be honored to come back. And listen, the wife can join me next time. Her and I did a double interview. Yeah. Yeah, And uh, look, man, she rocks. And it's important for the women. So women out there, Felicia will be right there with you when you call me. But uh, I have victorynow.com. Leave me a message. And I'll never get so big that I personally will not take calls. If, If we get to that place where it's getting to that level, then I'll back off a little bit because I... I like to know where each one of my clients is. We've got several peak performance coaches with the experience, but I'm involved in every single client that comes through. Clay Worrell, I have victory now. Thank you for joining us. Winners Find a Way show every Friday, 1230 p.m. Eastern, 930 a.m. Pacific. Check it out. YouTube Live, Facebook Live, and LinkedIn Live. And you can always find us on all the major podcast networks and iHeartRadio. We will see you next time on Winners Find a Way. Organizations come to me all the time with challenges of execution and communication with their teams. We help build a system through Bloom Growth and software that gives them simplification and prioritization. I teach, facilitate, and coach these organizations to literally double their value. If you're interested in gaining your individual and organizational growth, please email me at trent at leadershipity.com or click the link below and book a 15-minute call on my Calendly.